Best thing of the weekend came on Instagram. I'll tell you what it was, and you'll hear from Chris Herring of Sports Illustrated as we talk about this team and also other contenders in the Western Conference. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga. You're listening to the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz and MLS 3112 Equal Housing Lender. Get to Chris in a minute, but just a review of the weekend, and the big standout is how the story changed over a 24-hour period. Back-to-back, Miami-Orlando, two losses, but I will say, Saturday was peak. Saturday was a good NBA regular season game that will prepare the Jazz for the postseason, for bigger games in the future. Because that was it. That's the pinnacle. Basketball nerds loved it. If you're sitting down for a regular season game, oh, give me a 2021 Jazz Heat. That's the art form. That's one that I think even like Bob Ryan would love, that the three-point shots in the game. There were great chess moves in how do you defend a Bam Kyle Lowry pick-and-roll where it it can go big-small, it could go small-big. They're just trying to get the defense to make decisions. I don't think that the Jazz handled it completely great to start out. They started to figure things with Hassan Whiteside closing the game. Rudy Gobert was watching on the bench. They came back from being down. Donovan asserts himself over the third quarter. They did a lot of good things, and they showed they can play tough, competitive game with one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. That is a very good team. I'd even recommend watch that game over instead of taking a look at the first half against Orlando yesterday. That was peak. That was good. And it came as something that the Jazz will need to figure out when it comes to playoff time. A team that's very switchy, that wants to hand off everything when you put them in pick and roll. When Conley's going against Bam, Adebayo can handle that. He can match up with guards. I just felt, while watching that game, took the Jazz a little bit too long to figure themselves in defensively. Ask Quinn Snyder about identity of this team, things of that nature. It starts on the defensive end. and I don't think that the defense was right up there, up to it. They could play better. And that's the whole thing about this season so far. Been, what, 10 games? I don't think the Jazz have played an exceptional 48 minutes throughout. They've had a great half, that Atlanta half, but they haven't played one great game, which means that there's more to watch and why it's going to be fascinating to see things continue this season. Saturday, they don't have Mike Conley, and they clearly don't have the answer for when they don't play with him. They still are looking for that. That being said, still a seven-point game. Like With all of this, they're playing close games, they're playing tough Sunday seems like an aberration because of the shooting. 8 of 42 from 3, 19%. Last time they shot that poor, it was November of 2018. Ricky Rubio was here. I don't see a 19% night carrying over to April. We'll hear a theory later on, but league offenses are down. They are. Read Seth Partnow in The Athletic. It's not the ball. It's not all officials not calling those fouls. It's different things, and it's also a function of time. Early on in the season, offenses aren't as ready to go as defenses. So that contributes to it. But as the Jazz try to get their offense better, 
and they have to figure out how to play with Mike Conley, not in the lineup. Because they're going to have more back-to-backs. They've got New Orleans later this month. Mike isn't going to play one of those games. They weren't able to Sunday. But offensively, if they see things going forward, got good chances against Atlanta this week and Thursday against Indiana. Hawks are treading water. They lost to Phoenix. It's almost a function of them having too many good players. They've got positional redundancy. The Jazz don't have that. They have different pieces for different moments. You have a Pascal small lineup. And when that IG, best story of the weekend, comes back, Rudy Gay, he says he's getting closer. That can offer more versatility. The Hawks are struggling. After all the gains that they had in last year's postseason, they're still searching to get to that mental space. Regular season, not as fun as playoff basketball. They handed out contracts. And they're trying to dole out time. Cam Reddish, blue chip prospect, still in the wing rotation with Kevin Herter, their bogey. I'm just saying the losses over the weekend aren't as concerning as Atlanta loss, as Lakers, who I watched on Saturday. That's going to be tough. They're going to have to figure out a lot during the 82. They're playing Carmelo Anthony big minutes. And if you're going to ask him to defend in a playoff series, I feel like we've seen that before. He was at Oklahoma City. And a team just went at him and at him and at him until he broke. Well, Lakers are doing that now. And they rely on him a lot for their spacing because he's a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter because they have so many lane cloggers. Those are tough problems. They're picking up losses that aren't as fixable as the Jazz. Podcast, also brought to you by Fanatics. For authentic Utah Jazz gear, including jerseys, shorts, warm-ups, and more, visit fanatics.com slash jazzgameused. That's fanatics.com slash jazzgameused to get that sort of stuff. As always, five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Got Chris Herring, Sports Illustrated, rescheduled for today. And let me tell you, he delivered theories. And, you know, I had to ask him about the best news of the weekend coming on Instagram. Rudy Gay said he's getting closer because he was very high on Rudy Gay. And he'll explain why. It's not one of those moves where you read it on the ticker from Woj and you say, Oh, championship bound. But it's a savvy move by front office trying to improve the edges. Let him explain himself. It's Chris Herring, Sports Illustrated, on Round Ball Roundup. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out at First Colony Mortgage. Well, I think certainly people there will remember that um, the way the playoffs ended, and I think anytime the playoffs end, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but particularly when you've got a, a defense that is trying to scramble around and trying to cover a lot of ground to cover a team that's going to play you small. Um, the last few times Utah's been knocked out, they, they have the most dominant defensive player in the league, 
but if they feel like there's a way to try to scheme um, around having to go through him or being able to kind of neutralize him because of how fast they're playing, um, then they will try to do that. And I think the Clippers kind of found uh, lightning in a bottle by being able to do that, by getting guys to scramble around, by putting Rudy in difficult positions to try to guard them, to force them out of the paint, to be able to challenge him at the paint relentlessly. And so, you know, one of the things I think they could have tried to do had they had different personnel last year is go smaller. Um, you obviously don't want to take your best defensive player off the court and, you know, key offensive player off the court. Um, but I think they would have had more flexibility to do that if they had this year's roster last season. And so uh, to me, the fact that they went right at that, you know, that critique and reflected on that and tried to add to the roster, I think almost directly to that problem and that, that potential problem, I think speaks volumes about the fact that they saw that vulnerability as well. And so I liked that they went to go get Rudy Gay. I, I liked that they went to get um, Eric Paschal. And, you know, whether or not Rudy Gay will win six man, I think <laughs> he literally has not gotten out to any start in that regard. Um, you know, I did not know that he wouldn't play the first 10, 12 games of the season. Who knows exactly when he'll be back. It sounds like he's starting to get there. It's kind of itching and chomping at the bit. But I think, and I, I said this uh, briefly on the podcast, I think it was more of a an explanation into that thinking probably somewhat to justify the idea that I, I could very easily see Utah coming out of the West because they made that upgrade um, at small ball five. And so uh, that pick was not, you know, the other pick I think I had was Ime Udoka being coach of the year. And there was more of a thought process behind that too, which that pick's not looking so hot. Now I will say this, aside from having said what I said about the jazz, I also said that I thought the bulls would be very good this year. I thought the Knicks would be a lot different and be a lot better on offense this year. Um, that I felt really good about the Raptors. So, you know, there, there are different things that I think I'm right and I'm wrong about, but I think that the the thought process there was solid. I think I was it was probably me being a little bit too cute about the idea of how big a fan I was of that acquisition because, as I said, I think even on Zach's podcast, I mean, Rudy Gay realistically is probably the third most likely candidate in their bench rotation right. to be six-man. But I think that the the thought that that could potentially get them a championship is, is very real. And that was why I made that pick. And the ultimate point is those additions that they made in the off season, not only going for Rudy Gay, but also Pascal, like you mentioned, adding Hassan Whiteside, who's been uh, playing well so far to start this year. What'd you make of, of what they did beyond those moves, even adding uh, a Jared Butler in, in the draft? Yeah, it's, it's rough. I, I always try to be somewhat, real about this I actually just said it on my own podcast on open floor at sports illustrated um i feel like i'm always kind of more inclined to be surprised at the beginning of a season when i see a rookie that really pops because of the fact that i admittedly do not watch much college any college i guess i watch michigan because that's where i went to school but there's just so little time when you're trying to watch the nba i'm trying to watch every market I'm trying to watch Oklahoma City as often as I watch Utah, as often as I watch the Lakers, as often as I watch Orlando. I'm probably going to write a longer story in Orlando this week. Um, so I really have limited time. I, I teach on the side. I, I really have limited time to try to watch and report and travel and watch college. So I, I don't really come in with expectations from that standpoint. Like Evan Mobley is like this huge revelation to me. And I know other people have been watching him. I don't watch much summer league either. So um you know, as far as watching 
the Jazz, I remember when they got Whiteside. I was like, okay, I really like these moves over here with getting some wing players to play some small ball five. I don't know exactly how I feel about this one. Um, I understood it. I think that he gets a little bit of a bad rap. Um, you know, I, I think it's worked out fine for them. I think that they have a, a strong enough team, and I think they have a mature team um, to play around him to where that's worked. Um, you know, I don't I don't know that I make a whole lot of, of Butler right now, mostly because of the fact that it's uh, – with a team like that, you really don't want to have to worry too, too much about how much playing time that person's going to get. You want for them to develop, certainly – but, you know, you, you never have a clear sense of how much they're going to be playing or if they're playing a whole lot on a team that you want to win a championship. It's great if you can get contributions there, but I don't think you put too much stock into it. So I, it's not something that I've thought about a whole lot for them just yet. But, um, but you know, you, you never know what can happen. And, um, and so you, you just kind of want to see how it progresses over the course of the year. But you're hoping that there's not too much that you have to put on their shoulders. Um, I have watched Forrest a little bit um as well just kind of as part of the rotation and uh you know i i think that defense is kind of leave him alone a little bit um you know you need him in certain spots if conley's going to miss some time or what have you um so it'll be interesting to see the way defenses play against him versus when you've got um obviously your your starting backcourt there um but you know i haven't i haven't made too much of it yet it's still what are we two weeks in so far so we'll see what happens with it but i'm not expecting those them to need those guys that much. You're hoping that they don't need them. Yeah, just 10 games into the season so far for the Jazz, uh, but they have the 7-3 record. And you're watching what has uh, stood out with them as they've they've gotten to there. It's a, it's a steady team. I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I, nothing's really surprised me about them yet. I uh, was a little bit surprised to watch the Orlando game yesterday. I was really eager to watch it when I saw what happened uh, as far as the score and everything. And you know, first thing you know, this is, okay, Conley didn't play. Oh, okay, the, the Jazz shot poorly. Uh, and to some extent, you also, you know, you look at it and you wonder, if, you know, to some extent whether the Jazz get excited to play a game like that. Not to say that they should lose anyway in a situation where a team has no experience versus all their experience. Um, but that those were the things that came to mind, is that when you see um, a final score like that, when you've got one team that's a contender, and, you know, maybe even expected to come out of the West. I don't know if they're expected, but I kind of expect them to uh, versus a team that, you know, is not going to sniff the playoffs. I'm just kind of wondering what went wrong or was there a player from the other team that just had a, a supernova sort of night? And I think it was a little bit of both of those things. Um, you see Donovan Mitchell gets in foul trouble and, and you know, and then once he's back in the game um, that he's essentially playing even more loosely than he normally does on defense. And so that they're able to attack that. Um, so there are things like that, that, you know, that I noticed from that game, but no, it's, it's a steady team. You know, I was encouraged to see the, the game they played against Atlanta, for instance, I thought it would be a good test for them. Um, and a game that, you know, quite frankly, um, they looked far and away the better team to me, even though they were on the road. Um, so, I mean, not, nothing that surprised me to this point at all. I mean, I, I don't think that this is a team I'm expecting to surprise me much. Um, like I said, the, the main thing I'm going to be looking at with them is how much run they give these rotations where they're playing Pascal at five. And when Rudy gets to play, uh, Rudy Gay gets to play, um, how often they use him as a five and how that looks and just basically whether they stay healthy. And if they do, I expect them to be in that conversation. If they're not, then, you know, it becomes a question of maybe some of the people that we're mentioning before that you're hoping don't have roles that are too big right away. 
Um, but, you know, I, it's a team that I expect to be there that, you know, I think has something to prove in terms of being able to break through. Um, and it's just relying on health and the ability to get there. Yeah, the way I categorized it, maybe I was watching too much succession at the time. This is a team that if you had a vote of no confidence or vote of confidence board meeting, for the regular season, this is a, a vote of confidence team. They have all the pieces in place to win a bunch of games. It's going to come down to what are those tweaks and how do they end up in the playoffs, how it works out there that will ultimately determine the season. Oh, completely. You you know more or less that they should finish unless something goes terribly wrong or they have real injuries. If they finish outside the top three in the West, something has gone wrong. Something really unexpected happened. Um, so you trust that they'll get there. And that's why I'm saying that um, there's nothing that I, I don't think there's anything I could have seen so far, even if Donovan Mitchell had missed the first 10 games or Conley had missed the first 10 games, which that has essentially happened before, certainly with Conley. Um, so there's nothing that really, you know, if, if Gobert were out or something like that, then maybe it's a different story. But, um, you know, provided that they're healthy, relatively healthy, um, there's nothing that I was really looking to see in the regular season. Like, you know, there's a reason that I felt really good about them. Phoenix kind of still has to prove it that last year, I don't think last year was a fluke necessarily, but I think they have more to prove in terms of getting back to where they were last year and sustaining that. Whereas I think the jazz have kind of shown that, you know, that there's reason to trust that they'll, that they can at least repeat what they did. But I think that's not the goal for them. The goal is to get further, even if they are a two, three, four seed to go further than they have the, you know, the last few years in the playoffs. So that's what they have to prove. They just need to get there. And, um, and I don't see anything right now that suggests that they wouldn't. What have you made of Golden State start, even without Clay Thompson having Wiseman still injured as well? What have you seen from them in their hot start? I've been impressed. Um, you know, when I was talking about all those predictions that I made correctly about this team, I think a lot of people were kind of, I won't say polarized. There was a lot of talk about Golden State, and I was reluctant to really put them in that conversation because to me, Clay was such a big question mark. If he's healthy and he looks anything like he used to, um, I think you do have to start wondering, should Golden State be the favorite? Obviously, when a team is in first place in that conference, I think you need to be asking that question anyway. Um, and quite frankly, with the way the Lakers have looked so, so far, and with the fact that I think no matter what Utah does, unless they're on pace to be a 65-win team, and even if they are, I still think there are going to be a lot of people that just kind of, want to see them prove it and they're not going to make them the favorite. They're not going to call them the favorite. I think you'll start to see people kind of go from the Lakers bandwagon, which I think people are probably off that already anyway, to the Warriors one. And, um, you know, I'd still like to see a little bit more from them. Uh, but I, what is encouraging from their standpoint is that they've done it with defense. And that, you know, that was what really stood out to me the last couple of years is that when they lost all the talent that they had and, Obviously, Kevin Durant's not there anymore, and Iguodala, and he watched Sean Livingston retire, and all these other players. It was that they, what was lost during that dynasty, obviously they had all the shooting in the world, but they were really, really good and nasty and tenacious on defense. And you lose that sort of veteran leadership, and you lose guys like that. You're losing a lot of defensive ability and a lot of defensive know-how, which when you combine that with the fact that they also can shoot and play up and down the way they were doing, um, that was what made them the team they were. And, you know, we talked about the death lineup that they had. 
Um, it was the pace combined with the fact that they made it really difficult for you to score, even though they weren't playing with a really tall lineup. And so um, the fact that they've got some of that back and that they're, you know, at least for now so far have looked like an elite level defense. Um, you know, to me, that's, that's part of what this is, is uh, the fact that, you know, they look to be back somewhat. Steph has not been completely, completely lights out, which I think is a little bit scary. You could understand if they're eight and one and Steph is just playing the best basketball of his career. It's not that uh, Jordan Poole has obviously stepped up and had moments that he's looked great the last few games. Um, and Draymond is, it looks to be in really, really good shape. And keep in mind, this is all without clay. So there's, there, there's something to that. Um, again, I don't know what clay will look like, but um, I do think that tide may turn where people start calling them a favorite or one of the favorites if Clay comes back and he looks himself and he gives them a real scoring punch on top of what they already have. That, and they could have a move in them as well with the young players that they have with right. Kaminga and Moody. They are the the real, I would say, contenders for the West that have now taken over that Lakers pedestal uh, that Jazz fans, I'm sure, are, are very afraid of. How does it improve? How, how do you try to integrate somebody like Clay into that team that they have now I think they'll probably bend over backwards to do it um I mean he's a guy that not just skill wise talent wise but I just think that the foundation of that team he has his fingerprints all over it and so um do I think they'll force it if he doesn't look right no but I do think that they'll try really hard and I, I mean just knowing Steph's personality as a player as a guy that clearly cares a lot. I mean, I think part of what went wrong with the Kevin Durant thing, as much as it can go wrong when you win two titles, um, part of what went wrong there was that he very clearly was trying, Steph was very clearly trying to kind of let Durant feel out that experience. And if, if Durant needed to feel as if he was the star of the team, that he was going to let Durant have that. Um, and it was kind of something where Steph was willing to let Durant have that role or that title or whatever he needed so that he could feel at ease. Um, so, I mean, just the relationship that, that Clay, I, I imagine, has with Steph and with Draymond and with, and with Steve Kerr, I don't worry about it from that standpoint. It's, it, again, it's more a question of just, just does Clay still have the ability? And I imagine he will. I just think he could be rusty. Um, the shooting, I'm not worried about. I'm more worried about can he get himself as open as he always has. Um, it was a little bit easier to do that the last time we really saw him on a court because uh, Kevin Durant was out there with them. And so, you know, having him as a second option or a lead option and then Steph there, stuff gets thin really quickly. If it's just him and um, Steph, then it's a little bit different. But to what extent has Jordan Poole kind of changed that dynamic? To what extent does Wiggins do that? To what extent does Draymond being in such great shape this year, what extent does that change it? So we'll see. I mean, some of it will also come down to whether Clay can defend the way he was doing before, where he obviously took on the toughest assignment a lot of the time, um, whether they'll want him to do that right away, whether they can give that to Wiggins, what have you. So we'll, we'll figure it out. It's still very early, but you're right. I mean, there are additions that they can still make to this team just because of how many young guys they've got that would have value around the league, I think. Are the Lakers going to be fine? Where are you on, on that team? Mm, I, I didn't like them to begin with. I, I don't think I'm alone in that. You know, and it, I guess it's probably a popular thing to say. 
Now, I think that Lakers fans were probably kind of defensive when they heard the way a lot of the media was talking about them. And that was what I found really difficult to kind of really juxtapose with the fact that they were being called favorites because I was like, you know, they're still Vegas favorites right now. I look up Vegas insider right now. They are still the favorites in the Western conference. Obviously that's to get more action on them. Not the, the real basketball favorite. Right. And it's just from that standpoint, which is all I care about, you know, kind of the analysis and, okay, if you think they're favorites, why? And, yeah. you know, obviously people are going to say LeBron and AD and, the, you know, the fact that you might have two top 10 players, two top five players if they're both healthy on one team. But I can't remember the last time those two were both completely healthy. One. Two, it's a lot easier to win when you've got guys that complement you as, you know, or supplement you as players. I'm... <laughs> I'm watching someone that doesn't really do that, and I didn't feel like did that when they traded for him. Uh, I would much rather have the depth on that team, and I think that there's a very real conversation to be had about, look, Russell Westbrook is clearly a star. He's clearly a historic player. Um, that I, I'm not really sure what he gels best with at this point, but he's played with a number of stars in a row now for years in Washington, in Houston, in Oklahoma City. Um, some of the best in the sport, the biggest in the sport. And it's not to say you can't win with them, but he's yet to win a title. And I just don't see him as just as we finished talking about clay being a third star with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. The big difference with clay is a third star is that you can't leave the man wide open. If you do that, which sometimes you will have to do just to cut off Steph from getting to the basket or to cut off Steph from getting a 40 footer or Durant from doing that, or, God forbid the two of them run a pick and roll, and then you've got to use three guys to guard them, and then Clay is out there by himself. There's a real threat in Clay being left wide open. There was a real threat in Ray Allen being left wide open if you left him open and trying to guard Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. There's no threat in leaving Russell Westbrook wide open. That's the way you would want to defend him anyway. And so you would want to leave him open at the three-point line anyway, and, and Russ is not making you pay for it by screening. He's not making you pay for it by cutting. He's just standing there. And so I don't know if you really can change the Tigers' stripes in, in the situation. You can try to game plan for some of that. There was a game earlier in the year, I think, against Memphis, where Russ did screen seven, eight, nine times. Um, but those were among the only screens he set this season. And he set less than 20 screens, ball screens, all of last season. So I, it's just not really in his basketball DNA to do a whole lot of that which is why I didn't understand the trade in the first place. And it, 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 there's a conversation to be had about Russell and maybe not his star power, but his value as it relates to winning um, in a certain role. The fact that Washington looks really, really good so far <laughs> this season, the fact that, and, and that they're doing it on a team scale, it feels not even playing particularly well. So there's a conversation to be had about that. Just like there was a conversation to be had about Houston and the idea that Oklahoma City kind of was way better than expected when they got Chris Paul for him, just like there was a conversation to be had. So, I mean, it, it just kind of goes on and on and on. And what I'm saying is that I don't know that Russell Westbrook is really an ideal third star for that team. Um, and now we'll get a chance to see for a little bit with LeBron out. The thought was if you run into injury problems there in L.A., would it be better to have a third star that can fill in for either LeBron or AD? He's getting his chance, but it just, I mean, one for 13 was really not a good start to that stretch. Um, 
So, and, and I know that AD got hurt in that game too, but it just, there's a lot about his play that you need to be maximizing your possessions um, alongside LeBron or in place of LeBron so that he's not playing at a deficit. And Russ just turns the ball over so much and can't shoot. So I don't really know how that's going to work. It's bizarre to me that they're number one in pace for such an old team that seems like a bad recipe for getting hurt. But uh, we'll see. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Um, I'm already wrong on my six-man pick, so maybe I'll be wrong with this as well. We're all going to be wrong at some point. And <laughs> and the other thing that, that really concerns me, and I say this fully as a, a Syracuse alum, I mean, the fact that they're relying on Melo for so much is yeah. super concerning in 2021 because I've seen this story in the playoffs. What happens when teams go right at Melo? That's right. Donovan Mitchell put him in every single pick and roll action and just went at him, went at him, went at him until he broke. And and they're relying oh, on absolutely. him right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and I mean, not to mention that there's no way he can stay as hot as he has shooting it. I mean, it's been a revelation to see that he, he still can shoot that well when he's giving that many possessions, which has been out of necessity because they can't get it from Russ. And think about this. This is, you know, that that's why, I mean, the Russ trade – to, to get him in LA is one of the stranger ones I've ever seen because you, you know, the Lakers certainly got knocked and criticized for not having enough shooting the last couple of years. But I mean, they had, they had Contavious Caldwell Pope. They had um, Alex Caruso. They had Kyle Kuzma, all those guys. Now Kuzma was one of those guys that was kind of more of a reputation guy, but he was a, you know, slightly below average three point shooter. The other guys were slightly above average if I'm remembering correctly. And Davis Caldwell Pope was well above average. He's over 40% this year. And there was also Harrell as well that, you know, is having a great season this year that was part of that deal. Um, I, I just, I, again, I struggle a little bit with the idea that somehow it would be better to have Russ than to have the depth. And again, it's easy to say that now, but that was my opinion then at the time as well. And it, it was not just those guys. But it was also potentially the ability. I think the reason so many people felt so strongly about the Russ trade, the thought was that the Lakers were going to trade for Buddy Heald. And to me, that would have made a lot more sense, too, to have at least some additional shooting on the team and somebody that can create a little bit of offense, um, you know, aside from his own. And that would have made a lot more sense if you could have kept him or gotten him and then kept some of these other pieces as opposed to just trading it all for Russ. It was just such a big gamble. In what could be the last few years of LeBron's career, I, 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 I'm still really dumbfounded by it in a way that I, it's hard for me to make sense of it. It's almost harder to make sense of it when I see how badly it's playing out right now. But it's early. Russ sometimes has slow starts to seasons. Um, but I don't think you want to – I mean, if this is going to be largely on Russ's shoulders because AD is out or because LeBron's out, it's not going to work anyway. So we might be over – you know, we might be sensationalizing it, but it just seems like such a poor fit on so many different levels. Offenses are down in the NBA so far this season. Do you have a theory on, on what this is being caused by? I, I mean, even last night when the Jazz take on the Orlando Magic, they shoot 8 of 42 from 3. The last time they did that was when Ricky Rubio was on the team. Offenses around the league are having this happen, not only just the Jazz. Any idea where this comes from? I mean, it's all theories, really. I mean... You could look at it a few different ways. You could look at the stadiums are full again, which, you know, maybe that plays to someone's advantage when they're playing at home. 
and having the support behind you, but there might have been something to having the clear sight lines before um, that maybe was helping last year um, for three-point percentages. There, there could be something to the idea of, I mean, you've heard a lot of people talk about the new basketball, um, and you've seen even, you know, star guys. I was looking at it just trying to come up with, like, who I would put as my MVP right now. Really, none of the superstars' numbers are way up. Uh, last year, you had Jokic just playing out of his mind. Um, you had Joel Embiid doing that, shooting it. Steph obviously just went, you know, crazy at a certain point. So looking at all those guys now, like none of them, Beal is, is, is struggling, and you've got Tatum playing poorly, and you've got – you've just got so many guys that really they're either right at their numbers or they're not shooting it well. Donovan Mitchell obviously has not shot very well from three-point range yet. So you've got a lot of guys that that's true of. And, you know, you've heard a lot of guys, and Damian Lillard is, is probably the main one of, of the whole league that just really has not looked himself at all. And so that's some of it, too. I, when you look at offenses, it's like if, if the main guys are struggling for whatever reason, then that's part of it. I mean, part of it is certainly the, the free throw shooting and the ability to get to the line. Harden has obviously been a, a big beneficiary of that in the past, and this year uh, has complained about it and, you know, clearly – referees are kind of not taking the bait with some of that I do think also he's been hindered by it from the standpoint of there there are some fouls that they're not calling it's just it seems like they're kind of drawing a clear line to make sure that they're not being had and so that impacts him a lot it impacts Luca it impacts Trey Young so that's I mean it doesn't might not seem like much but if you take away 15 20 percent of their free throws which is kind of what it's been in some cases it's been even more than that for him, for Harden and for other people, that's a big difference for teams that are kind of, you know, that have one or two star players um, in the minutes where that person might be playing by themselves without the other star. So that's a big, big part of it as well. I mean, I think you have some teams that are playing defense differently this year. I mean, the, the Raptors, we all know um, how long their defenders are. I was watching them try to guard the Nets yesterday, and it's just everybody is 6'8", six, 6'9", six, seemingly, other than Fred Van Vliet. Um, but you've also got a team like Cleveland that's playing a 3-2 zone that's so different, um, and Evan Mobley in there, just so different. So, I mean, you've got some teams that just have unusual styles. You've got the Warriors playing defense the way they do again. Um, so there's a lot behind it. You've got teams that just play so fast up and down. They turn the ball over a lot. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of that, too, that the scoring is going to be up for some teams but it might be down if the play is more sloppy across the league. And I think there is some of that. So I think there's five or six reasons, but I think really uh, we might be just kind of missing in plain sight. Like the free throw thing doesn't really hit you until you look at James Harden and how far down his free throw numbers are and how much of that is the case with so many other star players that relied on a lot of junk basketball to get free throw opportunities in the past. Trey Young, definitely like that type of player as somebody that the Jazz have seen last mm -hmm. week and are going to see tomorrow. That is that is completely uh, right on. Is it a good move for the NBA to, to get rid of that? They needed to. I mean, I, I, I didn't complain about it actively just because, you know, I, you can get mad at the players for that. But if the rule exists and there's a loophole there that they're allowed to use, you know, who wouldn't use it if they knew that it would help them earn more money, help their team win more? Um, you'd be silly not to do that. And those guys just happen to be the best at taking advantage of it. Um, now it's gone, you know, and I, and I, like I said, I do think there are moments where, um, you know, where they, they make a move to try to draw contact 
and they might lean in a little bit, but the other defender lunges at them and that they, they run into them equally or even more than, you know, maybe James Harden does. Uh, and, and those should be fouls. And I think that the league will probably get better at calling them. Um, but they needed to get rid of it. I mean, and it, I, I think the clearest example, um, I was telling you, I, I don't watch much summer league. I don't watch college. Um, I also don't watch a whole lot of the Olympics just because I try to detox from basketball just a little bit during the off season because it's such a year-round thing. I've got a book coming out that I needed to try to to really focus on uh, finishing the, the final touches on. But when they were playing in FIBA, I mean, you saw the U.S. team look pretty bad in some of those exhibition rounds um, because they were relying on basically what they were so used to getting calls for, um, just throwing up three-pointers and just trying to pump fake guys in the air. Um, but they were the ones drawing, they were the ones initiating the contact. And so it, it looks weird at first, but it also makes you realize how crazy that stuff looks where it's not a natural offensive play. And it's not really asking anything natural of the defenders either. They have a right to space as well. And if they're not really actively bumping into you and you're kind of just forcing it to look that way, it's not, it's not productive basketball. So, I mean, I still think there's more meat on the bone left to take or fat to take off the bone as well, as far as some other stuff that would speed the game along. Um, you hear Jeff Van Gundy complain about the take fouls left and right. I think that that's probably next at some point, but that's been a problem for years as well. So I, I don't mind it, but it, it does show you how much better the game looks when you take it out. And I do think we would rather watch James Harden compete to get to the basket and draw a legitimate foul as opposed to that. Well, and so I think most of us can agree with that. Without those fouls, the take foul is, is more viable. You can take, right. You can have that as a, an option on the table. Exactly. That part of it too. So I, I don't know. I, like I said, I was not a, someone who vehemently complained about it, but I do think it's nice to, I would rather see real possessions play out. The last thing I want to see is teams taking, you know, possessions into the last four or five seconds of the clock and then getting kind of a cheap foul like that. Um, it just kind of takes away from it. But, um, but I don't know. That said, it also makes players villains to some extent, which can be fun at times to watch. Um, certainly we were talking about Trey Young before with the Knicks and everything else. So I don't know. I think that some of those things can happen without having fouls like that exist. So I'm, I'm happy that they're gone. Looking forward to the book blood in the garden coming out January of next year. He is of sports illustrated. His name is Chris Herring on round ball roundup on utahjazz.com. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. All right.